Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a head kick heard around the world at UFC 278 Saturday night in Salt Lake City as Leon Edwards provides UFC fans with the ultimate Rocky moment in the main event. My name is Brian Campbell, one half of your morning combat duo, giving it to you live right now uh, after midnight on the East Coast here. 278, what the heck am I going to say? The cruelest sport indeed. Leon Edwards, who... Open this fight in this main event by doing something no one had ever done before, taking down Kamaru Usman, having success on the ground, nearly getting in a choke to close the round. But what we saw in rounds two, three, four, and what was said on the UFC broadcast, rather justifiably so, that not only did Leon Edwards seem like he was on his way to a sleepy decision loss, Dean Thomas saying as much on the broadcast that it looked like he was happy with it. He was just happy to get a moral win by losing. And he delivers one left kick to the head of the pound for pound King Kamaru Usman. One win away from attempting to equal Anderson Silva's vaunted UFC record winning streak of 16. Closing in a couple defenses away on GSP for welterweight goat chip. And overall, you know the, the narrative entering this week. Where's Usman in the all-time rankings? What else does he have to do to get there? This is why <laughs> maybe Luke Thomas is right. My other half of morning combat. You, you never can be sure when it comes to predictions. Uh, as much as I got killed this week for predicting Usman by fourth round submission, it suddenly looked like a finish that was very much in play with the way this fight was going. Usman yanking at the, the gas tank of Edwards, using a heavy jab as a weapon to set up takedowns and really just having his way. Yeah, this is why combat sports, when it's at its best, it's unscripted. It's unscripted as shit. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I use that term, the cruelest sport. You hear that said a lot about both boxing and MMA in different settings. How cruel was this for, for Kamaru Usman? Historically, it, it's up there in terms of unlikeliness, of course, with a broken-ribbed Anderson Silva coming back from a 4 nothing deficit to submit Chael Sonnen. But it was extra violent being that he perfect not only landed a, a knockout blow, but, but perfectly set it up with that sort of inside jab that forced Usman to dip to his right, only he dipped right into that left kick that was coming. Uh, this is as flip-flop a bizarre moment of your emotions. You know, it's, it's like, I, I remember, of course, we, gr maybe the greatest boxing match of all time, the 2005 uh, Corrales-Castillo part one, you know, which had that crazy turn at the end, and it's sort of like, 
the fight's ending in front of your eyes. You see the ending of the movie coming and it just completely flips itself on its head. Now that can happen on a UFC prelim card, which is, by the way, the setting for when Usman and Edwards fought for the first time in 2015, a, a early prelims featured by. You don't see that in title fights. You don't see that in main events. You don't see that type of situation when somebody's so far down and everyone's counting them out. Look, this is a testament to the human spirit of Rocky Leon Edwards, who had his moment, but it's so odd. I don't want to call it bittersweet. It's not. It's, it's inspiring. It, 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 you know, but it's it was a fight that was going one way and going one way fast. And then it was over. And it's a reminder of what's possible in this game, no matter who the two names are in there that are touching gloves. It's a reminder of what's possible in fighting and in life when you don't give up and you don't stop believing only what made this so extra improbable. And while I'm sitting here still in such disbelief while fully willing to give Leon Edwards his flowers was that he, he looked bad from rounds two to four. He was gassing out. The body language was bad. The output was down. Usman was doing Usman things. It, it was very much leading to the sort of one-sided prediction that I sort of had for this fight. I think that a lot of people had for this fight. But again, Leon proven why you can't count people out. And certainly from Leon's backwards first background, excuse me, uh, you heard him teary-eyed afterwards talking about living in the, in the wooden shack in Jamaica where he's from. First Jamaican-born champion in UFC history, by the way. Shout out to that. But had been a man of multiple countries fighting out of the UK, but didn't seem like everybody embraced him. I know I got accused of just constant UK Leon hate of overlooking him. Overlook him no more, but the fact that this fight and this result came for Leon immediately after almost a flip-flop ending against Nate Diaz, which was only used in a lot of cases to sort of criticize Leon for him to do that and do it this way against, the again, the pound-for-pound king who had figured him out in this rematch and had overcome that surprising early adversity. Uh, you know, you... <laughs> This is why we watch the fights. You know, this is why, you know, none of us really do know anything, whether we're inside the game on a journalism standpoint, whether we're, you know, inside the game having trained or, or, or being a part of it in some way, or whether we just love this ridiculous, wild, unpredictable sport. I'll, I'll never forget Brett Okamoto. We know him and love him from ESPN. But when him and I were teammates, you know, you'd always get that text from him after wild ending. This sport, all exclamation points. This fucking sport. I mean, this fucking sport. I, that, what do you say? What do you say about that co-main event, which was wild as balls? But what do you say uh, after such an improbable ending? You say, buckle up and get ready for a likely trilogy bout, which, of course, I believe Usman would deserve, and it would be the next move uh, matchmaking-wise. But as weird of an ending, not just in the shocking nature of it and it's not that edwards didn't have any moments because certainly that first round turned out to be a surprising turn of events but this is as improbable as it gets uh, it feels great to see someone like edwards get his moment to be that emotional look in that camera i think john edward uh, john Anik said it best you know print those t-shirts of look at me now we now have a new catchphrase you got to believe Jorge Masvidal wonders if business just picked up and another potential big opportunity for him could somewhat fall in his lap. But this fight was crazy. And, and once Usman sort of 
righted the wrongs from the from the second round. And once you started to see that true difference in gas tank with Usman really just being a, a freak, a next level sort of nothing can tire him out. He committed to the wrestling more than a lot of people thought. And, I, and I'm happy to say I did feel like that first fight wasn't necessarily something you had to throw out in trying to relate to what this main event might look like seven years later. That, that foundational advantage was still there. If Kamaru can consistently take Leon down and then use that takedown as a threat to open up his offense, it's exactly what happened. And it wasn't just Kamaru wearing him out on the ground. Uh, it was, you know, a strong jab. It was mixing in power shots. It was a firm command Kamaru Usman performance. Until it wasn't. And that's, that's wild. But that is this game. Let's add Leon Edwards' name to the history books. Let's retell his, you know, backstory and inspirational run to get to this point. But this was a fight where the fans were booing. Uh, booing the, the long clinches in the corner. Uh, you saw a lot of online chatter about how many times is referee Herb Dean going to let both of these guys sort of illegally grab the fence or grab each other's gloves. And there you go. And that's why we watch this. And Leon deserves every opportunity to make that money and come back just as much as I believe Usman does for the run. He was on 15 consecutive wins unbeaten in the octagon, five straight welterweight title defenses to try to win back that belt in this opportunity. So apologies. If anyone believes in the year 2022, they can somehow click on an instant reaction video and be mad when they stumble into spoilers. But uh, can we wake up and realize how the world actually works? I mean, you, you either watch the fights live or you avoid social media. So let's not get worried about that. But uh, I will say, you know, Usman doesn't feel like a, as much as this is a Cinderella story and an upset, I'm sorry, Edwards, excuse me. Edwards doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's not of this ilk. And that's why I always wanted to keep that line and saying that I think this could be a one-sided rematch. I did because that's how good Usman is. But Edwards is pretty damn good. And, he, and in a lot of ways, he showed that by being able to show to, to keep that poise that I thought he was losing visibly as, along with his gas tank, but still keeping that poise and still trying to set up opportunities and then landing that. Um, it would be hard to guess that it that he was confident in that fifth round, that it was, you know, that this you heard the uh, it wasn't George Foreman, Michael Moore, right? It wasn't, you know, uh, I'm losing this fight every second of it until I'm not. But. I've been setting him up that whole time for that one shot, but maybe it was to some degree for Leon and, and Edward and for Usman. It, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, but that's the game. And, and whether it's a, a cut, a bad scorecard, uh, a spinning high kick out of nowhere. I mean, there are so many ways in this game to lose. And we just saw as dramatic as it, as it happens on the highest level, putting a halt to some, you know, historical pushes that it appeared Usman was on. Uh, let's get into that co-main event, a wild, Middleweight tilt on paper, meaning uh, Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold both badly needed the win, but seemed to be in very different portions of their career. And I think the biggest upset, if any, in this wild fight was how much Luke Rockhold kind of turned his career and the ending of it into sort of this baby face, as I tweeted out, tin cup Kevin Costner moment, like in that movie where, no, he didn't, uh, you know, hit the ball over the water and get it on the green and, and end up winning that tournament but he created an exit that was more memorable than a victory might've actually meant. And for Rockhold, who'd been out of the game for so long and 37 years old and injuries kept him out and devastating knockout losses and a lot of sort of bad things said about his chin, his punch resistance, all that for him to end with this type of performance 
where he looked not only gassed out after rounds one and two, but in almost an unsafe condition, bending over, putting his hands on his knees. Heck, in round two, in the middle of the round, he bent over and put his hands on his knees, in his knees in ways of, of outright fatigue that you almost never see. And then rallied for that batshit crazy performance in round three, in, in which loading up on every strike and Costa slowly tiring out himself. Somehow Luke Rockhold nearly won this fight by absolutely ridiculous dramatic knockout, then made a mistake and got taken down and ended up on his back, and then somehow found just a ridiculous, almost sadistic will inside of himself to reverse position and end the round on top. And this is the same round in which Luke Rockhold twice yelled, fuck you, to the face of Costa, and then loaded up with almost the kind of determined left hand that was like, if I don't land this, I'm going to die. I don't think we've seen a fight this wild in some time. I mean, did it have some hints of the Nate the Train Landwehr brawl against Onama from last week? I guess to some degree because that third round saw both sort of almost win and then take their eyes off the prize for a second, then almost lose. And that, this had some of that. But Luke Rockhold crying afterwards – I mean, he put out a heroic effort in defeat that he not only stole the show, stole the headlines, but he wasn't loved and, and liked and beloved or liked by fans. I mean, he was, you know, the, the pretty boy who maybe right at the peak of his career couldn't stop finding ways to, to sort of lose control of that. But he sort of, you know, even after complaining about fighter pay all week and having Dana White call him delusional and all that, he comes out and delivers the type of currency that's a, a win to fans to fight that aggressively, desperately, recklessly and nearly win it. I mean, there's, you know, there were some legitimate questions about Costa, obviously entering this fight, despite still being young in his early thirties, but two straight losses, missing weight, red wine. You get exactly where I'm going there. And there may still be some questions with, with how much he sort of left that door open in, in, in Rockhold rallied there when Rockhold really seemed one strike, one push away from just exhaustion and folding. And he not only couldn't close it, I mean, maybe, maybe it was the recklessness of Rockhold, wounded animal sort of syndrome, but Costa got lit up and this nearly fell apart. And he ends up taking a wide decision in the end and, and, and survives in advance and will still get big fights and, and prove that he can make weight and still get into great shape. But <laughs> what a, what, that's some wacky theater. That's some wacky tobacco type of theater. And um, I did love it. The 30-27, the scores across the board in favor of Costa as he survives and advances. But you can't help but not look at this emotional fight and say it was like for public appeal and in the way to go out. I'm not sure it gets better than that in the weirdest possible way for Rockwell. I mean, it gets better if he had a win. But this had some low freaking moments <laughs> for Rockhold and some pretty big, ridiculous ones that we almost didn't see coming, especially in round three as he's suddenly swelling and bloodying and rocking Costa. And then, of course, the big moment on the ground that would, that would be hard to miss and not mention when he rallies to, to get the sweep in, in, in reverse positions and get in top position, and then he's rubbing his bloody face all over. I mean, that's going to – we we see the, the, you know, the gif sometimes of BJ Penn licking the blood off his gloves or a maniacal axe murderer, Vanderlei, doing some, some ish right there. I have to believe that you're going to see that, that – rubbing of the blood on the face and Costa for, for his money was just sitting there laughing basically. I mean, that's <laughs> some weird ass theater right there. I mean, it's wild.
I can't believe Rockhold almost won this fight. I can't believe he didn't get knocked cold. But I think the best quote was Costa afterwards saying, you know, everybody says he has no chin. He has. He proved he has. Yeah, he has. He has the will. He found his want again. And in a weird way, it, it's hard not to, to be happy for Luke and cheer him on the way out here. Three straight losses to end his career. Uh, a bunch of violent knockouts. But this weird sort of moral win. Um he goes out. He goes out with a bang. And I maybe, you know, is it better to, to burn out or fade away, right? That's the, the forever question that Empire Records presented us. Great 90s movie. He burnt out spectacularly to end his career. But it is an old man game, old man's game, as he mentioned. He's fucking old. Good, good work by the MK uh, social team to tweet out. That's basically Luke and BC after every show. True, fair, true. But this was wild, bloody theater where I think we all thought, um, it's going to be a first round knockout win, or at least I did for Costa, but it could be wild before then. Rocco could have moments and you never know with Costa who tends to lean heavy on his chin these days. And of course, as we know from his fight against you, Romero will take massive swings and, and, and go and take chances. He almost got caught taking those chances, walking into something huge. What a wild, wild fight. Uh, let's go to the, to the, to the featured fight before that, the Bantamweight tilt that, in a lot of ways, on paper, really was uh, the the fight I was most excited for. The best fight, a fight with legitimate title implications at bantamweight, the sports deepest division, especially if the living legend Jose Aldo had one against Marab Davalishvili. Uh, and let's shout out the Salt Lake City crowd, which got a lot of love from Joe Rogan on the broadcast. It was loud and aggressive, and really helped uh, you know that arena. I guess top there, uh, yeah, as usual, you hear the UFC broadcast talk about top the their box office gate record despite having held the NBA finals there before. But this crowd is giving Jose Aldo the kind of victory lap adulation that boy does he deserve. Because at the end of the day, this fight, which goes down as a unanimous decision for Marab, Devalish Willie, 29-28, 29-28, and 30-27. I scored a 29-28 for Marab. Um you know, it's a huge win for Marab. It's his eighth in a row, and it, and it puts him legitimately in this core group in the title window. But Aldo, you know, he's going to kick himself for not being active enough. But he fought great. He was in intense shape. He came in with such a focused demeanor as usual for Jose Aldo. But as much as, like, we love seeing the fans give him, you know, the old guy legend rub as he's walking to the cage, he was very much in this fight. You can argue he should have won this fight, meaning strategically he should have done a little bit better. So what ended up happening was the th constant threat of moving forward and takedowns from the Georgian uh, weaponized stamina king of Marab Devash Willie was in effect the whole fight. All those takedown defense was just lights out. I mean, that is just old school veteran stubbornness. You know, Max Holloway in his prime, Chuck Liddell, I am not letting you put my back to the ground. Um, there just wasn't enough offensive behind it after that first round. I gave Aldo the first round, uh, what, one, two of the three judges did as well. It was more active with the kicks. It wasn't a throwback Jose Aldo, you know, performance in terms of letting his, his, his feet go, but he was checking kicks. He was landing hard kicks. He was throwing the left hooks to the body. He was at times even counter-chasing Marab to try to put the pressure back on him. And even though Devalish Willie didn't end up with a successful takedown until the third round, it was Jose's eschewing of consistent offense in round two and three as he got tired. 
that ultimately did him in. And, you know, we knew Marab Davalos Willie was going to have to really answer a lot of questions about his striking to win this fight. Was it on a high level? I don't think he actually answered those. You know, he did land some good shots. His consistent attempts at, at getting off offense, you know, was what gave the, the judges the fuel to give him the edge because of all those inactivity. But Aldo left it where Marab never really had to prove it. And I think that came down to how arduous and taxing a 35-year-old who late in his career is now cutting down in weight, but yet is in such insane shape. You know, how, how physically taxing it was defensively, and of course, you know, in ter terms of stuffing takedowns, for Aldo to put off a performance like that. I mean, his head movement, his defense, obviously the, the takedown defense, I mean, it was just on point. And I think at this age, he had to pick one or the other, and and he picked the and he picked the defense, which in theory sort of sets him up for the opportunity to have a moment. Only there was a bit of a failure to launch and release to attempt to have that moment, and I think you saw that frustration in Jose once he finally heard the scores and fell down onto his back, knowing how close he actually was given his name value, and he had been saying all week, "If I win this fight, you know, it doesn't matter where O'Malley is at. I'm going to get this title shot. I'm the one that deserves a three fight winning streak." was not easy, was not against uh, secondary names. And I think Aldo will know, you know, when he puts his head down on the pillow tonight that he was in position to potentially win this fight. It wouldn't have been automatic. He would have had to let his hands go. He would have really had to put himself in position to potentially gas in doing so or have a bad moment or open up a door of opportunity for Marab to really put something together. He didn't take that chance in the end and it had to be frustrating in his mind, I don't know what he thought in terms of what type of advantages he might have had on the scorecards, but you got at the end, you got to give Devalis Wheelie credit for for getting the win done, no matter what it took. And for him, it ultimately just took consistency and aggressiveness and being who he is. And you take your hat off to him. And what was most interesting after the fight was he really does enter the title conversation. So how do we figure that out with the fact that not only the division champion Aljamain Sterling is his teammate, but it was in his corner for this fight. And they've got a, such an incredible friendship that seems to go beyond regular teammates. You, you hear Marab really giving uh, Aljo his flowers afterwards in the post-fight speech saying, you know, I'll never fight him. And, you know, when I came to this country, he was the guy that that made me a fighter. And, and, and uh, you know, this amazing guy, my brother was the quote. Uh, he is the reason why I'm here. I remember 10 years ago, I was coming to the U.S. I didn't speak English. I started training with Aljamain. He made me humble. He made me realize how amateur I was. He made me who I am today. I have a seven-fight winning streak because of all, Joe. I'm living in my dream right now. He would close it by saying, please don't ask me any more of this question. We are not fighting each other. We are brothers, okay? There's part of you that, that, to be fair, that wants to see the competitor come out of him. We've seen this before in teammates, Gilbert Burns and Kamaru Usman. I mean, we've seen it before where it can be done respectfully without a, a John Jones, Rashad Evans, like blow up. It can be done strategically to say, okay, we just won't train in the same camp for the build to this fight. There is part of you that wants to see the competitor go, look, I love me some Aljo, but this is my time. This is my career. This is my moment. I respect him so much that I want to fight him. I want to give him that challenge, but maybe these two really are so close in terms of not know, not only knowing the deep, dark fighting secrets and vulnerabilities between the two, but you know, hearing Marab say Aljo actually made me hit, you know, his teaching corrections, his, his work. I understand it. It's polite. It's great friendship. It's a la Daniel Cormier moving down in weight, knowing that he's not going to, you know, upset the, the, the great chemistry he has with Kane Velasquez when Kane was heavyweight champion. 
it's not unheard of, but it was a little bit shocking to see that uh, so bluntly put by Marab and, and who's, you know, done a great job in transitioning to English and, and did the whole post fight interview in that. Um, I get it. I respect it. Uh, it would be interesting to see what happens though. If Algio held on to that belt through Dillashaw, through the, the challenges that follow. And if Marab can get to a point where it's like, you would be turning down uh, something that doesn't come in every day and that, and that, and that the window doesn't always open. Uh, would that change things? You have to wait and see, but, uh, or will one leave the division and move up? Uh, not as likely, but for, for Aljo, he's got to worry about TJ Dillashaw keeping that belt, but either way for Devalis Willie, he's elite. You go out there and do this to this version of Jose Aldo, despite being a little bit too passive offensively, which cost him and, uh, you make the leap. Um, but you know, what I said earlier isn't a criticism, but it is the facts. We didn't learn what we potentially could have from Marab offensively. Now, in th- on paper and foundationally, we did. His goal is to take you down and wear you out, and he wasn't able to do that in terms of take you down until the final round. But part of that equation in the take you down and wear you out is the wear you out, and he did wear Aldo out while still really trying to establish that offensive stand-up. So you don't take any credit away from him, but still not only room to grow from Rob, room to answer some questions about exactly where he's at. And in this division, so historically deep, so many great names, so many great matchups coming up from Sanhagen, Yudong to Aljo uh, Dillashaw to, to this one right here. Um, it's a big win. It's a big win from Rob. Uh, know him now if you haven't before and consider him in that group for sure. Uh, the other fight of note, which was bumped down to the prelim feature bout from the main card a couple days before, of course, was that heavyweight tilt and the rising Alexander Romanov, who had almost a 10-8 style suplex city mauling first round against Marcin Tybura, where it looked to explain what I thought coming into here, which is, yeah, Tybura is a tough out, but Romanov's coming on, and, and this is what he does, and he did what he does in that first round. But let's shout out Aaron Bronstetter, who was on our show last week on Wednesday, for identifying this and saying Tybura does have that well-rounded, stubborn potential to be the type of guy that potentially exposes some of the things maybe being not ready fully for prime time for Romanov. And over the final two rounds, I think that's exactly what happened. And and, uh, Romanov certainly had to deal with the gas tank, but this is what happens when you're steamrolling guys, and he was. He was the largest betting favorite in UFC history last fight when he mauled and, and destroyed Chase Sherman, uh, you know, you don't, there's things you don't know about yourself until it's time to know it. And in this case, Romanoff fought somebody who wasn't going anywhere in Tybura, who is stubbornly tough and is strong and a well-rounded nature where you're going to have to be really good to dominate him. And it looked like Romanoff was on that path at the, the first round until he wasn't. And Tybura fought his way back. And even though Romanoff finished the third round, really trying to make something happen offensively. I thought the judges nailed this and it is a little bit of a humbling defeat and a slow of the roll. Certainly not, you know, tre- a treacherous slow losses happen and they happen often early in the rise of, of fighters, but he came in with that glossy unbeaten record and he's throwing people left and right. Pump the brakes a little bit on Romanov as it's a very uh, firm and solid win for Marcin Tybura right there. Uh, what a crazy wacky day of combat sports. If you haven't seen it already on, uh, youtube.com slash morning combat. I already hit you with a, a little, little post-stated instant reaction of all things boxing, Alexander Usyk, Anthony Joshua part two, which was earlier today. Hope you checked that out. Keith Thurman and I went two hours on the Showtime prelims from South Florida to set the stage. Had a good time calling the fights, hearing where Keith is at. I haven't even caught up on PFL. Uh, 
on BKFC. Mike, by the way, I told you folks, okay? I, I didn't go as far as picking it, but I told you folks that this sport's different and that Mike Perry's going to have a chance to, to make this a gnarly night for MVP, and I hear that's what happened. I can't wait to check that out. Uh, this is as wild a day as I can remember in terms of the schedule, the vastness of it, and just things happening left and right and trying to keep up. Uh, I hope you enjoyed attempting that as well. Uh, multiple streams, multiple TVs, however you had it set up there. Uh, just wanted to give you a quick little reaction here as we set the stage for the big show Monday. Uh, Luke Thomas is in the process of returning from vacation. Uh, he'll be back live for the first time for Wednesday's show of next week. But don't fret. Hall of Famer Rashad Evans coming in on Monday. Uh, we're going to go at, at length about the, the fallout, what's next after all the fights from this weekend. Uh, we'll, we'll hit you up a little bit more on the full UFC card. Uh, but thank you for joining me. I am Brian Campbell, one half of this morning combat experience. What a day. What a time to be alive. This is why we uh, lift them weights in the offseason, to, to put it all together on nights like this. Uh, thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. This is why we watch these fights, because what Leon Edwards did tonight, man. <laughs> I mean, party at the Edwards house, you know, party all week. Uh, this is what it's all about. He stepped up for his moment. It wasn't going his way until it did, and he created a moment. And it is the ultimate Rocky moment. So uh, it, it, it's hard to poo-poo that and not take the uh, the inspirational uh, feel-good moments from that. So I'll take that with me. Uh, early plane to catch, so BC is going to call it a night. Uh, special shout out to my man, Mikey Morms, on the ones and twos behind the scenes for CBS Sports. I am Brian Campbell. We'll be back with a strong bang Monday morning to give you your full cup of the best damn combat sports show. Uh, period. We out. That's it. <laughs>